Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the club that you're going to want to join. From Offscript Media, this is Matthew Zachary, and welcome to episode 5 of NordPod, the voice of rare disease. On the show today, crisis management, or how to pivot with as much style and grace as possible when all plans go out the window. In this case, I don't know, maybe a global pandemic perhaps? Joining me is Debbie Drell, Director of Membership here at Nord, and Mary McGowan, Executive Director of the Myositis Association, whose mission is to improve the lives of persons affected by myositis, fund innovative research, and increase myositis awareness and advocacy. How do leaders connect with their communities, partners, donors, and stakeholders when potentially scrambling to survive? Many small nonprofits are already doing the doggy paddle therapy dance just to keep the lights on every day. And yet, there are incredibly positive outcomes that stem from uncertainty when you have the right circle of friends, a network of advisors, and a supportive coalition that's got your back. Let's learn how to lean into the pain, adapt on the fly, distill what is most critical, and stay just as passionate and focused as we want and need to be because tremendous opportunities lie inside unexpected challenges. Enjoy the show. Crisis management, how to pivot yourself in a pinch. I will summarize that fairly easily for our listeners joining us on this show. Uh, Mary McGowan, I want you to start us off with how you got into this crazy mess of rare disease nonprofit work because we talked before the show about how you've been in the nonprofit space for a while, the American Academy of Pediatrics being, you know, talking about jumping right into the fire with that one. But you've bared witness to what it's been like to run in the nonprofit sector for a long time. And at the Myositis Foundation, your first foray into rare disease. Welcome to the club. Thank you so much. And yes, it's an incredible club to be a part of. Uh, my background is over 35 years in nonprofit management experience and uh, always in the very large disease space. So children's health, cardiovascular health, of course, being the leading cause of death of men and women. I was with the allergy and asthma space. Um, again, very large health issues. I had an opportunity to join the rare disease community. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to bring what I have learned 
throughout my management career uh, from these very larger health issues into the rare disease space and uh, see if I can offer some of those learnings. And I'm so glad I did. The rare disease community is absolutely extraordinary, uh, and I'm so glad to be a part of it. That's fantastic. So, Debbie, as the Director of Membership for NORD, the Myositis Foundation has been part of that club for a while. What was it like to welcome the Myositis group in and your relationship with Mary in terms of helping them understand the oversight and the management, the tutelage, the leadership that you impart down the road? Sure. So I've been working at NORD for three and a half years. And when I came in, we had you know, 270 member organizations. The National Organization for Rare Disorders is an umbrella that supports the work of existing nonprofits and brings in um, new members and helps people start nonprofits. And uh, Mary's group is a very strong group. You would be surprised by all that they can accomplish with, with a small team. And working with her group has been a huge inspiration of all that they've uh, accomplished in their awareness raising, their fundraising, and moving the needle on drug development and research. And um, I had the pleasure of meeting her staff because I'm in Washington, D.C., and they're in Alexandria, Virginia. And so we were able to see how they live. And Nord is really just, you know, a 35-year organization that leverages all the resources and connections in those decades on the Hill, at the FDA, at NIH, and we bring those resources, but we also bring the community of rare disease leaders together. And Mary has contributed great strength in the work that the organization has done as a leader. And like she said, all of her background in nonprofits, you know, we definitely take full advantage of her expertise in connecting similar organizations through a group we run on Facebook. So it's this group of 400 leaders in the rare disease space who are our members and they share strategies all the time. And before the pandemic, (laughs) it's hard to believe that we don't do this anymore, but we used to come together face-to-face all the time at conferences and Nord would convene these leaders at, at dinners, at conferences and post meeting events, and we would put a spotlight on our leaders. Now we do that virtually through webinars and our virtual events. We have a summit taking place for rare disease drug development in the fall, and leaders like Mary speak to the entire community to help advance their mission and their goals. So Mary is just an incredible asset and resource, and we hope that Nord is able to provide support and strength to her as she provides to us and the entire rare disease community. It is a testament to Nord's ability to convene and create coalitions and almost the incubation model of supporting down the chain. Uh, let's get back to the the uh, issue at hand, which is myositis itself, as I learned, is this random thing that could show up in your life at any point in time when there's no understanding of where it comes from. Mary, how, what have you learned in entering the rare disease space? This is your first foray into rare disease nonprofit management. What's it been like for you to understand that mechanism? It is uh, really so interesting. Uh, the autoimmune disease space, which is uh, where uh, myositis is, it's a rare autoimmune disease. And it basically involves uh, chronic inflammation of the muscles, and it can occur at any time in life. There's several different types of myositis and even juvenile myositis uh, in affecting uh, small children, young children. 
And so it's really an interesting disease. It's unknown. It's impacting about 75,000 people throughout the nation. But of course, the disease is also worldwide. Uh, we are, the Myositis Association is an international organization. Uh, so we do support and work with people around the globe. But inclusion body myositis, which is a myositis disease that impacts people over 50, that is the most common muscle disease in people of the ages of 50 and older. So it is a, a muscle degenerative disease, and it really just starts with um, you know, difficulty perhaps opening a jar. Uh, people start tripping and falling. Uh, a lot of people, they think initially this is due to the fact that they're getting older, when in fact, it's, that's not what is causing these signs and symptoms. And just like many rare diseases, it can be seven, eight, 10, a dozen uh, physician visits and multiple years before you actually get an accurate diagnosis uh, because of the fact that it's a rare disease. And in medical school years ago, they weren't talking, you know, they weren't teaching about myositis. So uh, it is a challenge in the uh, rare disease community uh, for patients uh, living with these diseases for what can be a long period of time without actually uh, knowing uh, what is causing the issues and the signs and symptoms that they are experiencing. So leaning into that for a second, let's dive into how when you start in a scrappy-ish Mom and pop ish, grassroots ish nonprofit organization. You're not jumping into work for, you know, the American Cancer Society, you know, this behemoth system of everything where, you know, like the TPS reports in the movie Office Space. That doesn't happen when you're scrappy. And, and I have all sorts of empathy and sympathy for you as the founder of a very small, very scrappy group that was very small and very scrappy for a while. So, in terms of you know, uh, donor relations and sponsorships and community engagement and keeping people empowered and thrilled and excited and feeling like they're doing something for good and helping people out. There's a lot of cheerleading and motivation when you're the at the top of the chain for the nonprofits. But when, you know, weird, bad things happen, like say, oh, a global pandemic that kind of changes the way you have to rethink your approach to assurances and keeping things up and running. And like, let's start to talk about your programming and what you have been doing as an organization and what that has had to potentially morph into to adapt to a new planet. Yes. Yeah, so it's been very interesting since COVID, of course, has uh, become uh, the most popular word around the, the world these days. And we didn't really hear about it uh, up until just a couple of months ago. But the interesting thing about it is it has opened the door for a number of different opportunities and collaborations and partnerships. We knew right from the get-go uh, when we learned that those that are at high risk are those that have autoimmune diseases. We knew right then that it was our job and we wanted to take a lead on providing the most up-to-date education and information that we could, not only for our patient population, but also for the physicians who are treating them. So we created uh, a whole uh, web section for physicians and patients, and we worked very steadfastly to keep that as current as possible. 
We also increased our educational webinars on topics all related to COVID. And interestingly enough, the Myositis Association last October started the planning for a virtual Myositis Summit, um, which was going to take place in May and did take place in May. But it was part of Myositis Awareness Month, which is May. And so we were well under planning this, you know, virtual summit before COVID even became on the radar screen. And so we were really kind of at the lead on that. And uh, since we've done the summit, we had so many other organizations who reached out to us to find out, you know, what made it so successful. We had over 605 people. We had 18 countries represented And we did add an entire section of the summit on COVID research with global leaders. We have a very esteemed medical advisory board uh, from around the world. And so, um, so we were able to really kind of take the lead on that just because we had, uh, you know, started the planning of that. Uh, again, as I said, well before COVID. But we have added so many other programs. Uh, We launched a Myositis International Journal Club uh, to bring young researchers together um, and uh, medical students, uh, because during this time period, research uh, has uh, been challenging to keep it moving forward uh, in the rare disease space. So our approach was really taking the mission of the organization, which is education support, advocacy, and research, and really creating its own mission around COVID and intertwining it into our our already mission that we were working on. And that was our approach to this. And it's been quite successful. That's a fabulous segue right back to Debbie, because Nord has had to go through significant repositioning is on what it wants to do for its community in the wake of the the pandemic. And the Living Rare, Living Strong conference was moved to virtual, as were many other things. Debbie, must make you very proud to know that the the, the trickle-down impact of leadership is really proving itself within the spectrum of your coalitions. Yeah, absolutely. I Nord is uh, the first point of contact when leadership have crises or critical issues where they want guidance on strategies. And the pandemic was nothing we've ever experienced. Uh, Our leadership experienced a complete screeching halt on fundraising, on individual donors. People are losing their jobs. They're losing their benefits. Patients are scared about going to hospitals. And the rare disease community is the most at risk in the coronavirus, and there was very little information and leadership in this country in March. No one knew what was what the future was going to hold, and so we heard repeatedly from our member organizations, "What do we do about our conferences, our fundraisers?" And Nor developed a rapid response webinar series, and then eventually seed grants to help our member organizations pivot because their infrastructures are small. One third of our member organizations, the 320 of them, we surveyed them, one third of them have budgets of under $75,000 revenue annually. And if let's say $50,000 comes from a fundraiser, a gala, golf tournament, these all happen in the spring and fall. So the pandemic was terribly timed. People didn't know, our leadership didn't know, you know, how to shift, how to work with their sponsors pivoting to virtual. So Mary, I mean, it's uncanny that in October, 
the the myositis association had this plan for virtual it's almost like you knew you were in on the secret um uh, but uh you know so nord we had to move quickly and everything that we learned to pivot to virtual we packaged into resources to share with our members and our rapid response webinar series looked at or pivoting your conferences to virtual virtual fundraisers crisis communications managing your boards how to engage them during a crisis so we really moved very quickly to create this resource that is could be life and death for these very small nonprofits and your original question to Mary you know you asked about sort of how is rare different and fundraiser trust donor trust and you know are you you know these big organizations that take a lot of money and rare disease nonprofits they have so much credibility and with the myositis association i, I failed to mention this but the history uh, you know founded in the early 90s they formed because a entrepreneur who had inclusion body myositis uh, wanted to start this nonprofit nothing existed and came to nord and nord shared 16 patient names for the first mailing list so this organization is so grassroots so patient driven um, and has, you know, two decades, more than two decades of incredible legitimacy in being patient run and, and driven and the board and the medical advisory board. So I'm not surprised that, you know, the, the success of the virtual meeting and, and all that the Myositis Association is accomplishing. Um, and it's leaders like that that help us. Uh, we did a roundtable with executive directors to talk about the coronavirus response. And so leaders like Mary and others uh, discussed amongst themselves. It's really crowdsourced driven because NORD does have knowledge and experience, but so do all these executive directors. And we are able to convene them to really share best practices and to, to move forward because, boy, it was a scramble and it was very anxiety producing. Personally, a lot of these executive directors are taking care of kids with rare diseases while juggling their jobs, while fundraising with a, a with a country that you know is in a recession and uh, with all this unemployment so it was just even more fire to the work that we do and if anybody can make a case for our cause no one in this country if you have a rare disease no one else is advocating for your disease except for your organization specifically you know there's 7000 rare diseases and there are large-scale organizations like Nord who are advocating collectively for all rare diseases, but for specifically for myositis, specifically for any any disease. You know, the patients that drive these nonprofits are making the case, and in a pandemic, it's all the more important. Back with our guests after the break. So in the first half of the show, we talked about how there was almost like this um, Nostradamus-ish way in which the Myositis Association foresaw. But you guys have been sort of operating in the telehealth world in a sense prior to that. Mary, can you talk about that? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, with COVID, uh, of course, there was a shift in the way that physicians and patients were 
you know, managing the patient's health. And so telemedicine, which is something that, you know, we've known for a long time would eventually get here, right? Um, but there were many challenges that, you know, we as a nation were dealing with. How are payments going to be handled? How's the insurance for these kinds of things? Well, what's interesting about, you know, COVID and what's happened with telemedicine is it's really advanced that agenda. And again, so looking at that, the Myositis Association uh, decided to really focus during this time period on what we were doing in the telemedicine space and really enhance it. So we did, the first thing that we did was a, a coast-to-coast webinar. And we ha- we got experts from Johns Hopkins, which of course is in Baltimore, Maryland, and experts out at UC Irvine in California. And it was so interesting to hear these leading medical experts talking about the challenges that they were facing uh, with telemedicine in terms of meeting with patients online and many of the, the challenges that they were experiencing and also what they were hearing from patients. So what we did with that is we created what is called a My Myositis Tracker to be used during telemedicine visits to help the physician and patient communication to be better. And we launched it about a month ago. And we now hear from doctors that the patients are much more prepared. They get much more accomplished because it's a very uh, focused tool on the signs and symptoms and what's been happening with them in their home environment. The other thing that we did that resulted from that webinar is we listened very closely at what were the challenges that the doctors were experiencing and what were the challenges that the patients were experiencing when they were trying to um, hold their telemedicine visits. And from those challenges, we created a tips and tricks infographic to help both patients and clinicians in terms of making their telemedicine visit more successful. And that has been extraordinarily um, helpful, uh, we hear both from the physicians and the patients. And then finally, the Myositis Association did our very first Twitter chat. Again, we wanted to focus, that's where many clinicians uh, spend their time in Twitter. And so we had Dr. Rohit Agarwal, who's the chair of our medical advisory board, who did a Twitter chat on enhancing patient and physician engagement and communications uh, during these unprecedented times. So again, it's been an opportunity to launch some new programs and to really learn a lot um, you know, from those. And by listening very closely, we take those as opportunities to fill the gaps and to help with those challenges in any way that we can. You speak a lot about using the internet for good. How novel is it to use the internet for good in these weird times we live in with as, as of this taping, the entire Silicon Valley universe is being grilled by Congress. But what I'm learning as I'm exploring down the rabbit hole of the rare disease community, that Facebook can be good. Twitter can be good. Can you describe the patient experience when someone, we talked about how this randomly happens in life at any age for no reason. Is it isolating? Do they find Facebook groups? How do they learn about your association? Yes, it's very challenging because for many of them, they've never met anybody else with 
the same rare disease before. And so it's that in, in itself is very isolating. So we have an annual patient conference that brings in about 500 patients on an annual basis together. And uh, many of them, of course, are newly diagnosed. And it's a wonderful opportunity for them to meet others across the world uh, living with myositis diseases. But getting back to the internet, um, you know, it's interesting with our summit. The reason really why we created the summit and again, started that planning back in October was because there are many rare disease patients who have advanced disease, you know, state. And so they can't travel necessarily to go to the annual patient conference, which is we pick a different location every year uh, from coast to coast. So what the internet provides um, is this real opportunity for folks who have advanced disease stages to be able to interact, to see others, to meet others online, which really was not happening as aggressively as it is now with all of the virtual events that are taking place and people becoming more comfortable with putting themselves uh, live, you know, on Zoom, for instance, or some of these other platforms that organizations are using. But the connection online is extremely uh, important. And then just one other quick thing that we did during COVID, to your point, we started a program called Feel Good Fridays. And every Friday for an hour, we get the myositis community together for a very informal gathering. But it's a very important gathering because we're working to help with psychosocial and isolation issues. So Feel Good Fridays, we've done um, meditation. We've done a painting class. We've done a music uh, sing-along. We had Elvis on there. Um, it's just some fun, right, to get together, to bring the community together, to enjoy the end of a, perhaps a hard week. And it's just been incredibly um, useful and helpful for people who are feeling isolated. So again, that technology is so important for us to be able to uh, flourish in. Yeah, in the cancer world, it used to be all about the biology. Then they realized there's a person beneath that biology and that your quality of life is just as relevant as your quality of care. So this idea of focusing on your mental health, your sense of self, your connectivity, your end of isolation, it makes perfect sense. And this just reinforces the role that NOR plays in membership and curating amazing organizations. Debbie, let's go back to you and talk about what it's been like to see organizations come under the NORD. I would say that really is circus tent because that sounds like we're making fun of it, but it really is this <laughs> phenomenal like hug that you give to organizations like this. What's it been like? It's been amazing. I, personally, I have a sister living with a rare disease, pulmonary hypertension, and that disease has this incredible nonprofit and that nonprofit started like the Myositis Association in the early 90s and they were founded because NORD helped the patients come together. And there are 7,000 rare diseases, and we know of 1,000 nonprofits. That means that there are 6,000 rare diseases without nonprofits. And to your point about Facebook, you know, this is really the connection. People find each other on social media, and they don't make the leap to become incorporated because there's a lot of work involved in that, and they don't know where to start, and they're starting from scratch. And so Nord has this program called Rare Launch that helps patients create these nonprofit entities, because when you have a nonprofit entity, you are recognized by the government, you are 
legitimate, have that infrastructure for fundraising, you have that tax status, then you can work with other stakeholders, the medical community and industry. So we are really helping to create these movements that extend beyond social media, Facebook and Twitter and all these Google groups to create forces of power through patient-driven initiatives and have patients funding and fueling the research and patients at the table. And these grassroots movements, if it weren't for Nord, you know, for pulmonary hypertension, they now have like 17 treatments. My sister is alive because this group of patients found each other writing to Nord, then starting a nonprofit, then developing, you know, funding research and, and developing these therapies. And I know my sister's alive because of that. So Nord creates the spark, brings the patients together. The patients are the ones that move it. And we are all of the synergy of, you know, becoming these powerful voices that are recognized by government and that are convening. They're, they're not, um, you know, we say patient voices and patient driven, like we are driving it and you industry and government are at our table. <laughs> No, again, this this comes full circle on why we're even having this particular episode of NordPod, which is how, you know, membership, remember the Telly Savalas American Express, I'm dating myself for the listeners out there, the membership has its privileges commercials in the 1980s with Telly Savalas. Yes, I'm 46 and I own that, people. I'm 46 and I own it. Gen X all the way. Anyway, non sequitur notwithstanding. Membership in Nord really does have its privileges, and it's a phenomenal ecosystem that you've built to support groups that may have been started in the 1990s or may be coming up today and want to know more about how they can join the club, its own club that you didn't want to join. But in a sense, it's a great club to be part of, whether you need it or not. And so, I mean, with all that said, this is a great success story. And yes, crap's always going to happen that you don't plan for, and you got to lean into it and make good decisions that you think are the best, but having anchors and friends along the way make it that much easier. Debbie Drell, Director of Membership for the National Organization for Rare Disorders, and Mary McGowan, Executive Director at the Myositis Association. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of NordPod. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for this opportunity. That's all for today. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. NordPod is a product of the National Organization for Rare Disorders and Offscript Media. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Leslie Nordstrom. Andrew McDowell is our senior producer. Karen Lee is our production manager. Valerie Don Francesco is our marketing manager. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary and the post-production team at Offscript Media. Our theme music is by the Salvatones. Learn more about the music of the Salvatones at salvatones.org. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit nordpod.org. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.